This is the Mindful Experiment Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Vic. Excited that you're here. This podcast is all about diving deep into the mind and understanding this experiment or this game we call life. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. The biggest battle we will ever have to face is the battle between you and you. It's the battle of taking your mind to that limit and then breaking through. On the Mindful Experiment podcast, we will share concepts, universal laws, and interviewing individuals who have done just that, who have gone through the dark times and through those moments, allowed their light to shine bright. I'm your host, Dr. Rick Manzo, and I want to thank you for listening to the podcast and taking this journey with me as we discover different avenues to break through those limits, expand your reality, and evolve into the person you desire to be. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hello, ladies and gents. This is Dr. Vic, and I want to thank you again for listening to The Mindful Experiment. Uh, this is part two of a series with Nick Jenkel. So if this is your first time hearing me say this, Definitely look back at last week's podcast and listen to the part one before we get into part two. Nick and I dove into a lot of the science-based stuff in part one. And in this episode, we are going to go even deeper and talk more about the practicality of how to take this with life, with love, leadership, and so much more. So I do not want to waste any more of your time. I want to help you sit back, relax, get a pen and paper out. Because Nick and I dive deep into the practicality of how to utilize what he talks about in his book, Spiritual Atheists and Other Ones Switch On, and be able to utilize these principles that we shared to help you go deeper into your life. So here is part two series with Nick Jenkel. 
Well, Nick, I want to welcome you back to the show, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. I'm very excited to get super practical. <laughs> well, we had such a great time chatting last time on the philosophy and everything you're doing, uh, spiritual atheism and all that great stuff. I thought it'd be, you know, great to, uh, afterwards we talked about, you know, getting into the practical side. And so I was just really stoked to have you come back and, um, I'm not wasting any time. So I'm going to go right in. You know, we, we, we covered so much material from before. How is it that someone can go ahead and utilize all the stuff we talked about and practice that? And this is a loaded question. Um, practice <laughs> that in life. Ah, perfect. Well, first of all, I'm going to say I call myself sometimes, depending on who's asking, uh, a practical philosopher. So for me, if philosophy isn't landing in the everyday moments where life is lived, you know, waiting for a train, commuting to and from work, at the coffee machine uh, in the office, uh, nine o'clock at night when your partner's come home in a in a funky mood. <laughs> I don't mean funky in a good way. Um, that's where it has to happen, right? So, so, so I love to pontificate and philosophize. It's important to really update our thinking and our our mental models. But then we have to sort of make it happen in, in life. So I, I'm really excited to share more about, you know, what, what, how does it benefit you in life to be able to embrace both a scientific um, way of thinking um, and a spiritual way of thinking, which is the essence of spiritual atheism to me. It's blending um, critical thinking, science, hypothesis testing, um, biology, medicine, chemistry, physics, all that stuff, but also a deep, deep commitment to our own personal journey in our spiritual um, experience. And when I say spiritual, for me, that means spiritual and psychological. Um, I don't mean just meditating. I mean meditating and then upgrading our psychology. So actually, it's probably a good place to start. I think so. Is, you know, why... I mean, I guess the question I would have myself is, why do you talk, why do you need spirituality at all to be psychologically happy and healthy? That's probably the question I attempted to answer most in a couple of my books. I say a couple, there's only two at the moment, both my books. <laughs> um, so I tried to get be happy with lots of different tools. Um, sort of materialist tools, everyday tools. So I tried um, partying. Um, I tried uh, psychotherapy. I tried antidepressants. Um, I tried travel, extreme travel. I tried all sorts of things, lots of sex, um, dating, fun, not just sex, you know, romantic stuff. And really, at the end of the day, I was still left with this gnawing sense of, of emptiness rather than fullness. Um, and also some really um, difficult, what I call patterns, so habits, um, that really sabotaged me um, in pretty much every area of my life. And that was where I wanted to start my change of myself was on those habits. I think when I work with people, individuals, that's where most people realize that whatever they're doing isn't really working. Um, and when you're in your 20s, it seems like you can sort of outrun your own patterning. 
Um, if you keep busy and you get another job and you make some money and you keep partying and you keep dating and you keep hooking up, you can sort of feel like you can outrun it, but something happens <laughs> after me anyway. My late 20s, what they call it now, mid uh, quarter life crisis, happened to a lot of people. It's when you realize you don't, you haven't outrun your problems, it hasn't got that much better. So, you know, um, actually, I read an amazing statistic this week that um, half of all mental health problems start or originate before we're 14. So we're laying down really early patterns of thought and behavior habits. So that's really where, for me, the, the, the key heavy lifting has to start. How do I deal with the fact that sometimes I look in the mirror and hate myself or um, I have chronic pain or chronic ill health, anxiety, depression? That, for me, is is the start point for all this work because everything else comes from that. If we don't have health in our own field, in our, we don't have some kind of mastery of our own emotional state and we're just reactively flipping between different patterning, um, it can, we can never really be happy. We can have moments of happiness, but we can't really be truly happy and peaceful inside. Yeah, I, th- I think that's that's huge. And and in your journey, I mean, you 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 went all these different routes. It sounds like yeah. to try went, to yeah. <laughs> looking outside yourself, right? Uh, right. And, and and so forth. I mean, even with you know partying and all that stuff. And you just did you have like was it just like an emptiness that wasn't being filled? There was an emptiness, um, but even before I got to the emptiness. And I touched the emptiness many times in my childhood. Um, I remember one point, I, I write it in the book. I was in the middle of Africa, just having a lovely evening in the middle of nowhere. And I just walked home from a bottle shop and fell to my knees in just like looking over the abyss, the existential abyss of doom. And I thought to my, and I just was like, wow, you know, this is, you know, what does it all mean? Life, terror. So I had, I'd had those existential thoughts before. And there was a lack of, deep understanding of why I was here, you know, the meaning of life. But that was actually, and this idea of spiritual atheism does solve that problem um, in a quite a major way. And we can, we can come to that in a moment because mm-hmm. it's really important, but even more practically, just from a, just from an everyday functioning point of view, I was, I was maladapted to the world. Um, and in my, what I say to people in my teaching I said this to my 10-year-old son this morning before he went to school because he's having some challenges with being teased uh, at school. Who hasn't had that problem? (laughs) Um, Is that, um, you know, we developed these patterns that were adaptive and and useful at one point, Um, being funny, clever, shy, um, sexy, you know, whatever we decided we had to do to, to get through. But those patterns then start to hem us in later in life because they're, they're rigid, right? They're not adaptive, fluid, creative, agile. They're rigid. And, that's all, and, they're, and they're just sort of like problem. Oh, it sort of reminds me of this old problem. I'll use this pattern. And it's not really a great fit, but it's the best we've got. So that might be, you know, you've gone out on three dates with someone and you get a terror of commitment and being let down and the pain of a whole world of things you're even aware of. The next thing you know, you've ghosted them because that's the pattern you had, which is to run away. Mm-hmm. And it's not adaptive. You know, it doesn't work for you now, but it, it worked for you then and you keep doing it. And you seem to have no way of stopping it. And I had, you know, scores of those things. 
<laughs> and um, I have discovered over the years that those primary defensive strategies, which are basically ways of getting our needs met, which aren't really brilliant anymore, they don't really get our needs met, but they're sort of an approximation, they won't go anywhere without what I would call a spiritual experience of love within. Um, and the reason that is, is, and this is something I didn't want to believe, by the way. I didn't want to have any spiritual life. I was really happy with modern Western psychology, but it wasn't good enough. And so Freud, as I re- recount a bit of this in the book um, about the history of psychotherapy um, and psychology in general, but just in a nutshell, Freud and others of the great psychologists didn't want religion in their science. They wanted to be scientific. And so they got rid of spirit, love, all this sort of namby-pamby, wishy-washy stuff. Um, but I discovered over the years that, that, n- that the terror of life and the terror of past trauma will lock in our, these habits, no matter what we do cognitively, no matter how much we get rewarding you know, carrot and stick psychology for change. If we get triggered into fear, and if fear reminds us of something from the past um, that was quite painful and difficult, um, we will enact a pattern as we watch ourselves consciously knowing we don't want to, we will shatter our kids, grab a cookie or a cake, um, not go to the gym, um, run away from a client, you know, shatter a relationship, whatever it is. And I discovered the hard way that only this feeling of love within, which we can, I call spiritual, you don't have to call it spiritual, but it's a really powerful feeling. It's the only thing I know that this sort of sense of connection is the only thing I know that's more powerful than the fear. And that in the, my language can liquefy those neural pathways that encode a pattern. The love liquefies them and allows them to move and release. And without that, um, um, these things just stay in place. And that realization is foundational because then you realize even if you don't want to be spiritual and do yoga or meditation or anything, if you don't find a way to find this feeling of connection of love within though your habits will your big habits your difficult habits will always stay there um and that's really important i mean i don't think there's many things more important than that um in the world today i couldn't agree with you more they always say love heals all things and, and love is the 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 thing that can transform i love how you said love liquefies and lets you move through it yes um, but how about someone who like how much is this like unconscious because i know the brain has ways to um, shed away and hide things away mm. from you that were painful that you can like uh, trap away and never know. How much does mm. uh, unconscious play a role in that? How can you become aware? Mm. Well, uh, wonderfully. And so this comes back to this wh- one of the principles of spiritual atheism, as I see them, is that our biology is designed for us to grow and adapt. And I mean that on a very basic level of an amoeba becoming a, I don't know, bacterium, becoming a mammal, becoming a human. Um, And I mean that in everyday life for every individual, there is a part of us that pushes us to grow and to expand and to transform. And that part of us will keep bringing us to almost a failure with our old patterns until we wake up and, and, and get the message. So another way of saying that is, you know, the universe will call us and say, hey, dude, you've got some stuff in this area. You might want to look at it. 
and then we ignore it for 10 years. And each time the universe calls us to get us to pay attention to ourselves and to, to learn and to grow and to grow up, the, the message is harsh, harsher and louder. So if we keep failing in our relationships and eventually we get divorced and our kids never talk to us, that's a pretty big message going, dude or dudette, you have some stuff in relationships that needs, you need to pay attention to. The trauma, the pain might be hidden unconsciously, but the, 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 the symptoms of, of it are showing up really obviously to you. And then, you know, extrapolate that to work, to, to health, whatever. We, we get the message. We get the symptoms. We get the messages. We just don't always want to deal with it and, and engage with them, but they just get louder and louder. And ultimately, if we don't get it, then we end up in despair, in suicide, in drug addiction, in chronic ill health. Um, in fact, in the book, there's a whole bit about how stress and trauma actually creates far worse symptoms with what we think are viral or you know transmissible diseases that have no psychological component so those people who contract hiv and have had multiple traumas in their life psychological traumas um have a different uh, disease pathway to those who don't and that's fascinating mm. i just read yesterday only a third of all alzheimer's can be pinned on any specific gen genes or you know genetic inheritance which yeah. means two-thirds of alzheimer's is to do with context environment lifestyle thought style you know this is real this is not you know and this is for me all part of the information we get saying hey man there's something to transform inside um so we can repress it for a time of course um i've you know i've done my best <laughs> to repress <laughs> a lot of things um but one of the benefits of of this um, sort of psycho-spiritual transformation pathway is that as we connect to that love feeling more and more, um, you can call it union, you can call it oneness, you can call it love. For me, just love is a metaphor for connection. It doesn't It's not a, a thing in itself. It's a metaphor, a powerful one. Mm -hmm. um, that feeling not only starts to help us very practically release some of this patterning, but it also makes us just more and more courageous, emotionally courageous, um, more and more able to deal with this world, which is really scary and, you know, messed up at the moment. Um, probably always has been to some degree. Um, and then we can start, I think we start to um, allow our hidden things start to come to the fore more often because we're no longer so defended. Um, and that can also happen in serendipities, you know, seeing something and seeing someone or watching a movie and you go, Oh, oh my God, that's really brought something up for me. And then of course we need lots of self care, self compassion and processing time, which a lot of us don't give ourselves enough processing time. Um, and we want to be careful. We don't want to go into navel gazing self care. But all we do is go to, you know, massage, have massages and then do anything. Don't do any work. <laughs> but this compassionate ability to take time to process is absolutely crucial. Um, otherwise, it becomes too much. And that's when you get, you know, breakdowns and midlife crises and things. It's not because it's just because we've ignored all the different things that weren't working for us and they all just go and hit us in one moment. That's my experience anyway, of my sort of major breakdowns. It was a sort of multiple, multiple maladaptive patterns all failing at the same time and it all sort of overwhelmed me 
No, and, 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 and being in the, the health field for myself as a chiropractor, I mean, it's, it's, and, and, and doing the other stuff that I do, you brought up a lot of great points. I mean, like I always say that if, if you don't change, life will make you change. And, exactly. and it's one of those things, like you said, it, it, if you missed the first message, okay, no worries. We're going to get a little bit more louder and then we're going to get a little louder and we're going to make it even louder. And eventually, unfortunately, human nature, we have to be knocked down on our knees, hands and knees before we finally go, okay, I'm listening. I'm ready for this now. I, 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 you, you, I've been beaten up too many times. Uh, <laughs> it's that rock bottom, right? Right, it's rock that, bottom, sometimes right? Sometimes you need rock bottom. But what I have learned is once you realize rock bottom is, is one, option, one path, there is a kind of preventative wisdom pathway. <laughs> Yes, there is. <laughs> me, but, but, that, but people say to me, well, you know, how much time do you spend on personal development, your relationship development, your kids' relationships? And I'm like, pretty much all the time I'm not working, yeah. to some degree, um, and even when I'm working, because obviously I, this is what I do for a living, um, I am working on releasing stuff, processing stuff, updating stuff, connecting with my loved ones to make sure they've got stuff they want to share. You know, it's constant. You know, I went. I got up this morning at six so that I could have um, half an hour with my little boy because last night, um, you know, was difficult, and he came back from school a bit, bit battered, and he was rude, and I reacted, and blah blah blah. Usual, you know, in reactions, yep. In reaction conflict, yep. But I wanted to help him with some of my, you know, fresh in the morning with some of my understanding about what teasing is and how to get through it, and you know, that's work, that's commitment. And that's that. So people say, "Well, how much of this do you do?" And then I go, "You know, I would say three hours a day between my wife and I, you know, part, business partners, clients, all sort of working on what hasn't worked and what we can do." And it's a lot, but it's it's what kind of the deal. It's kind. It's particularly if you're busy and you live a life that's quite ambitious in some in any way that you have lots going on. Then you'll have lots of stuff that isn't working to process. It's like a kind of you know, if you want to go and live, um, you know, like. Um, Thoreau on a on a lake mm-hmm. in a wood on your own with no relationships to to heal and no then life can get very simple and I think that everyone should do that every now and again right go walking in the desert or whatever we do yep um, but otherwise it's it's daily 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 practice of of deep deep transformational work and I say to people it's not for everyone but actually it is for everyone because that's all there is that's the human ex- experience um, and when we look at it away from thinking of it as something negative to, wow, that's where all the exciting stuff in life comes. It's not from skiing down mountains or seeing if I can hook up with the pretty girl at the bar. It's not that the excitement doesn't come from that stuff. The excitement really comes from breaking through our, our stuff. And then you get limitless excitement inside and it's free. Hooray. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, they say the best things in life are free. I mean, it's, uh, it's interesting sometimes. How true that can be. <laughs> but would you say like, you know, when you're, would you say the little things in life is what makes the grandest things in life? Um, because you're saying like skiing down a mountain, that's a big yeah. thing. Hooking up with the, 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 the hottest girl in the bar. Those are big things, but you know, Hey, I had to spend an extra half hour with my kid today because of what they're going through. And then every day you're doing this little stuff all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Would, you, would you say that kind of leads that way or how would you phrase it? Yeah. I mean, I was a big romantic in my earlier period of my life, but, but for me, a lot of that romance was actually a sort of drama to try and make my life better. 
and it played out in many different places. You know, I used to organize epic parties, epic holidays. I went out with beautiful women. I went on amazing dates that I created for them. Um, it was all very like jazz hands, showy, big, brash, beautiful, but also just a lot. Mm-hmm. And I've realized as I let go of that pattern that I can get insane amounts of joy from, yeah, as you say, little things, but they're, they're not that little. They're like mm. life, life's moments of richness. <laughs> and I'm, I'm actually now sort of like someone said, why don't you go traveling here or actually, you know, or, or why don't you take the kids on a global, you know, trip in an RV. And I'm like, cause I just don't need that kind of, what's the word? Um, stimulus right now mm-hmm. um this is the stimulus I'm, I'm looking for is is dialogue writing more shaping my thoughts more and that's very different from how i used to be because as i relate in the book i i used even travel as an escape as an addiction you know if i was in the middle of some weird temple in a funny situation in cambodia then i wasn't in me dealing with my pain yeah. um and whilst I would always recommend people go traveling to find out more about themselves because it's, it's a great mirror for our own reality and it wakes us up and um, gets us out of our own, what's the word, arrogance and, and wealth, mm-hmm. um, we always come back home to ourselves. And we're still there. Same thoughts, same mirror, <laughs> same looking in the mirror, same face. Um, and that's where this stuff is, is really so key. And, and how is it like, how many people do you think use so many different things to neglect what they have going out within? Like, and, and I'll say this in a couple of ways, like, for example, how much do you think people know based on the work you do and everything in your book yeah. and all that, how much do you think people know what they have to work on, but they kind of run away from it because yeah. of, of, I don't know, what's a better term than pain or the discomfort or the mm-hmm. uneasiness being uncomfortable. How many times do you think? Mm, mm, mm. It's an interesting question. I never really thought about it that way. <laughs> One thing I can say at the other end of it is when people have had a break a breakthrough. Yeah. Um they often acknowledge that they kind of knew all along, if you know what I mean. Yep. But but it's kind of like a different part of us knowing, isn't it? it mm-hmm. It's kind of like um it doesn't seem, doesn't seem to stop what I call the protector in us from building huge scaffoldings of 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 crazy in the sky. The part of us called the connector kind of always knows what we need to do. It has the wisdom. I call it your inner shaman, your inner guru. Yeah. Um, but getting access to that is very difficult. Um, yes. And that's really the big work of transformation is less about having the breakthrough. It's more about getting out the way of the breakthrough. Um, and I think Rumi put it so beautifully, you know, our task is not to love, it's to remove the walls that stop love. Mm. He said it better than me, but you know, <laughs> that idea. Um, and um, yes, it's, it's a very humbling as a coach, as a leadership person, as a, a wisdom teacher is to realize my task is not to give people anything. My task is to help them remove the barriers they have to this stuff. And it's a very different mindset as a, as a sort of transformational agent. 
No, I, I totally agree. Like in the chiropractic world, that's kind of what we always talk about is just how to, what we do is just remove interference. You know, nature, mm. nature does not need help. It just doesn't need interference and the body is part of nature. So it's one of those things where if we can just remove the interference, that's not allowing them to heal the way they were designed mm. to, um, then all of a sudden it's amazing the transformation that comes from it. Yes. I mean, that's just a beautiful way. I like that interference. Um, and, and that interference is there for a reason. Yeah. It, you know, it, as I said, it's got that protective mechanism. You know, we, we can't have too much chaos and crazy in our lives. We need protection. And, and, and uh, But most of us are not actually in existential threats during the day. But we're reacting with biology that's, that was designed for existential threats like a snake or, um, you know, a tiger. So we've got this amazing biology to, to react to those situations. But most of us don't encounter snakes on a daily basis. But our biology is activated like, like as if we are. And we call that stress. And, mm-hmm. and as I said in a workshop last week, stress is the um, posh term for fear. Mm-hmm. And we don't walk around the world going to our boss, I'm so scared right now. <laughs> absolutely terrified by this project and who I am and everything in between. We say, I'm really stressed, man. We even have a competition. You know, I'm more stressed than you. I'm busier than you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got more on my plate than you. But really, all that stress is literally the fear. It could have been called the fear response when it was first you know, created. Um, and that's a great challenge because our biology, as you know, is designed to slightly favor the fear response, which, which sort of guarantees our safety, mm-hmm. than it does what I call um, the drive to thrive which is that connection, wisdom, growth. But our, we, don't, we don't want to take a There's no point thriving if you're not alive to thrive, right? So our biology goes, got to survive, got to survive. I can thrive as well, but only once I'm done with this existential threat to my, my existence. And, but if you're always feeling there's an existential threat, there is no way to get into that other uh, pathway, which is the drive to thrive. Um, it just doesn't exist anymore. We're just always reacting and and you know and and that often comes in in the shape of addictions and not just like the oxy um booze addictions uh work addictions love addictions sex addictions um social media addictions um success addictions you know it's so easy for us to get addicted to, to something if we're trying to fill an inside gap with something from outside um, and that's actually, you know, great segue point into that. What's the meaning of life chat? Mm-hmm. Um, because until we not just know the meaning of life with our mind, until we feel the meaning of life in our body, then there's always an em- that emptiness, um, that atheistic emptiness. Um, even if we're, rel- we're religious, it's still empty. And um, we'll just fill the gap, right, with whatever is available. Uh, could be Netflix, you know. Netflix addictions. I'm going to watch 12 episodes and, you know, <laughs> before, before we go to bed. That's an addiction because it's no longer something that's it's something we're relying on. That's the key, so whether we rely on it. I, I like how you, you talk about filling the gap. You know, the um, it's it, it, so many ways the brain will always fill a gap with like, if you hear a story and you don't remember parts of it, the brain will fill in the gaps. And, um, you, when you're talking about like, you know, the meaning of life when you, and, and feeling that, that gap, um, this good segue point to then my, my, my question would be how then do we fill the gap in a more meaningful way? Right. Exactly. 
And that gap is, we've all got that gap. And at some point, I do believe every one of us has to come face to face with this gap. It might be on our deathbed. We might not, we might be so busy. We don't deal with it till our deathbed. It might be when we retire. It might be when our kids leave home. You know, there's a, there's, there are key inflection points or, or sort of life stage moments where this gap goes, hello. I mean, I knew mine was there very early on. I think a lot of us do, but then we sort of just get busy, right? Suddenly we're on the college, college mission, um, getting grades and then getting jobs and whatever. So I do think there's sort of uh, moments where the gap becomes mo- more evident. Um, but the best thing we most people most people drown away the knowledge of the gap in in some of addiction, um, and I did it myself. You know, I, I was uh, at one point I was never an ad I was never a drug addict in the sort of Nancy Reagan way, mm-hmm. but I was definitely using um, extreme um, experiences to sort of take me out of my of my life. Um, on a reasonably regular basis. So that that also for me included uh, design stuff, lovely sort of European designed furniture. Um, mm-hmm. Also include clubbing. I was at one point clubbing two or three days a week um, with amazing music and dancing. But it wasn't, you know, there it wasn't all good. It wasn't all light. There was shadow in that clubbing addiction as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen people get addicted to their kids, you know, because their kids give them a a sort of feeling of bliss, which because it's uncomplicated, right? The love from a baby or a small child is uncomplicated. And I've seen parents slip into a sort of addiction to that bliss because it's easier than dealing with your husband or your wife or any other, your teenage kids. (laughs) 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 So we've got to be watching, always watching out for filling the gap with stuff that isn't the right stuff for the gap. So it sounds like we always have, you always have to be on, keep an eye on it. Is there like, you know, uh, is there a way to, um, you know, is it a mindful practice? Is there something yeah. that you recommend to be like, hey, this is a great way to be to know when you're trying to fill a gap rather deal with it? Yeah. I mean, there's probably a number of things that I teach. One is do your processing work. Um, and that means you've got to set time aside. I would say at least once a week for dealing with the scary things, the weird things, the difficult moments. Um, That's one thing. Second thing is some daily practice where you can just touch base with, with eternity really, you know, with, with, with everything, with the everything, the nothing, the, you doesn't matter what you call it, the emptiness, the form, the void, um, Brahman, Atman, um, you know, the Tao, um, beauty, nature, Something that brings you back into that, because that's really the test of whether you're full from the inside. Nice. Um, because then you go, oh, I'm full. Oh, I don't need that Diet Coke. Um, or I don't need that uh, email right now. Um, so that's another thing. Another practice is to be really aware of our cravings or our aversions. This is classic Buddhist practice, but it's really important for everyone. As soon as we're like, oh, I've got to have something, I've got to have, and it's almost invariably likely that we're in the dopamine um, anticipatory pathway. Um, that means we're hooked in some way. Um, and then for me, very, just very obviously, you know, if, if I see that we're going through wine or, um, or we sort of have to go on holiday because we don't feel very happy. If I see anywhere in our life where we're starting to get reliant on something, 
I will um, remind myself that I've already got it inside and do some of that practice. But also cut, I'll cut out whatever the thing is so we don't rely on it. You know, I might stop drinking for four months um, just to be totally free of it and then start having a couple of glasses again, you know, every now and again. So because it's so easy, right, to just get slip into those sort of um, half-asleep patterns. Oh, I drink a glass of wine every night. And then next two months later, you're drinking half a bottle, you know, and then next thing you know, you're drinking a bottle four times a week. That's not good. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure the science is in. (laughs) (laughs) That ain't going to work. And so, you know, just preempting that 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 is is really important so there's, there's a number of things there um but as we as we always know awareness is the key to doing you know you can't change what you're not aware of so true yeah this is great stuff i mean this is good things to definitely um rock and roll with i mean you brought up dopamine real quick and i wanted to ask this question about um you know how can for someone who has an addiction because you know as humans we are addictive in nature we're addicted yes. to you you were mentioning all the things that are out there uh potentially um that people are addicted to and 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 in my experience you know it's that, that what's that fast short dopamine response that's what we're looking mm. for um yeah. but how do we break away from that how are how from your work and the things you do how can someone break away from an addiction Oh, I mean, that's the, the, the you know, I think there's a, two, there's a two-pronged strategy that I, I bring people into. It's kind of a sudden flashback. I was actually a, a, a TV host on a BBC show, a reality show, working with people with shopping addictions, mm. which is a whole other addiction, right, is stuff and buying stuff and um, hoarding stuff. So um, so my two-pronged attack, one is sort of more on the, I guess, mindfulness spiritual side and one is more on the psychology sort of behavior change side and i think you have to do both so um just before i share my my pathway my my approach i'm going to sort of break it down so i believe every human being has got three facets to their being at every given moment so right now as you're listening to this you have some behaviors um actions behaviors habits um so i call that your hands uh you have some thoughts and beliefs which i call the head and then we have feelings and felt sense and interoceptive senses in our bodies, which I call the heart. So every moment we have heart, head, hands. So something like behavioral therapy is just at the level of head. Uh, sorry, hands. Um, cognitive therapy is the level of head. And then affective or emotional therapy is the level of heart. And I believe in working on all three at the same time. And if I don't think you can really do change without all three. So just feeling love and going to a retreat is very unlikely to change a behavioral addiction. Um, but likewise, just putting away your um, wine paraphernalia is probably not going to change your emotional craving for, for alcohol. So for me, the two-pronged sort of work is, on the one hand, you're doing sort of heart and head work. You're looking at your programming, where the fear is, where, what is the hole? What is the gap? Where did it come from? Why do I feel not enough? Why do I feel disconnected? Why do I feel alienated? And working on a very deep level to find your way back to love, to connection, to self-love, to compassion and kindness for yourself, to feeling of belonging. So that's the kind of big, deep, psycho-spiritual work. And at the same time, we also have to use, I believe, some of the really useful tools in um, what we would might call cognitive behavioral approaches so changing the cues um the triggers um changing the people that we're with that remind us of our triggers um changing the language we use 
So rather than saying, you know, I'm a sugar addict, we rewire that language pattern. So we're not using um, language which pulls us back. Um, we do, I, I teach people how to do sort of um, reprogramming techniques. How do you change the language your brain uses? How do you also use a lot of micro habits? So people like to th- sort of reinvent themselves with massive things like I'm going to go to the gym forever every day or <laughs> I'm never going to eat chocolate again um, or I'm never going to shout at my husband again or, you know, whatever. <laughs> Terrible behavior change te- technique because you, within three, four days, we usually um, have already failed. We teach ourselves that we don't honor our commitments. We go into a shame cycle. We disbelieve our, our power, dot, 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 dot. Or probably even worse, the people who like, are really violent with themselves as they do their 34th day of meditation at 6am. You know, they're really like, I'm going to, and that's a pattern too. You know, I'm going to do this, whatever. Um, so one of the great tools, which actually was inspired by um, a uh, professor at Stanford um, called BJ Fogg um, is rather than c- commit to big habit changes, do very small ones. We call them micro habits. So, a micro habit is something that is very small. Um, it will move you towards your sort of addiction transformation or your goal, whatever it is. But the key is it fits into an existing habit, has very little motivational need to get it done. So my classic example is you want to break a habit um, or an addiction to um, being a couch potato, watching Netflix, eating chips and dip and not going to the gym. then um, doing some inner work on why you don't and why you don't love your body and activity and, and embodiment, but also at work rather than going in the lift every morning, take the stairs. Um, it's a micro habit. You've already got a habit, which means going to work. It's very low and very low motivation to walk up five flights versus take a lift. It doesn't take much to do that. Do that for three or four weeks. And then if you build confidence in that, then you go to another micro habit, all focused along the same journey. So then for me, transformation means heart, head, hand. We've got stuff going on in the emotions. We're working on our emotions. We're working on our beliefs and our sentencing in our heads. And we're working on our habits in a very practical way. And then you get transformation. You get it pretty quick. And so this is the key. You know, I've gone through everything I can in the world to find what is the quickest way to make transformation occur. Partly because I obviously wanted that for myself. (laughs) Um, Partly if I'm going to teach this stuff, I want to teach, you know, accelerated world-class stuff. Um, and um, I don't believe it takes 20 years, but anyone promising it can take two days is also probably talking um, from their wazoo. You know, it, is a, it takes a long time, but it doesn't have to take that long. That's my kind of <laughs> annoying reality check. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Now, just for the listeners, because they're hearing this, and like, okay, so what do you think it, on, an, on a ballpark on yeah. average, what would you think it takes to create that that shift, that transformation? I mean, I, that's the other challenge is nonlinear in that uh, we have a break, we have a nonlinear breakthrough. So I can usually bring someone into a pretty major breakthrough. In a, in a, so we have a three day workshop that my wife and I run together, and we throw everything: we have music, dance, ecstatic, meditation, um, embodiment. Um, mind reprogramming, micro habits, deep oneness experiences. And we can bring people into a transformation within three days on something big. 
I don't think I've ever done one when someone's gone, I got nothing, I got no breakthrough. But then the more we practice those tools, the, the reprogramming tools, the mind tools, the habit tools, the quicker we'll then make that into reality. Um, then to make it even more complex, the more we do this work, the better we get at it. And so we, I think we change quicker anyway in general. So that said, for me, you can have a breakthrough reasonably quickly. Um, and just when I do one-to-one sort of, I will call it some kind of therapeutic coaching. Um, people have usually gone through every other kind of therapy they can imagine. It hasn't worked. So I'm already working with people who are frustrated and, and you know, want a breakthrough. So the breakthrough bit is actually ironically relatively easy uh, for me. Um, but the challenging bit is then how do you help people make it happen in the real world where stuff comes back, old people that trigger you, you know, old paraphernalia, et cetera. But I do think that if you do the work after a few months of quite a lot of effort on one thing, and I would also say to people, just do one thing. Don't do more than one of these at a time. Take one thing in your life that isn't working and have a transformation in one thing. It's too much to do this in more than one area, really, at any one time. Um, it takes too much attention. Um, but within months, I think people can have a pretty – you know, foundational change. Um, and certainly within a year or two, you can look back and go, Oh my God, I'm really not, you know, an alcoholic anymore. I'm really not, I could go there, put me in the right situation with the right trigger. Those mental pathways are still there. Those neurons have not fully disappeared. That's the, the, the kind of the thing, right? Is they're always there, but they're no longer the dominant pathways in our brain and no longer the, you know, so I talk about the idea of, um, our protective patterns, our habits, our addictions are like a massive multi-lane highway. I always talk about the 405 in LA because where I used to live, massive 20-lane highway, super quick and efficient neural um, signature for a reaction. And then we have this little breakthrough in a workshop and it's like a little goat track. You can barely see it on a, on a mountain. And the work of all this reprogramming and, and meditation and, and habits and different people to hang out with is all about making our new breakthrough way of being a 405 highway um and it does happen it it takes time you know brain the the brain the biology lags behind the thinking we've had the breakthrough but our biology takes a while to lay down new proteins and new microtubules and new neurons and prune away the ones we don't need so we have to be careful to to not rush ourselves and to to learn that lag phase as our biology catches up with our ideas um is very beautiful and it's like the kind of it's the practice it's the everyday discipline and and i love how you bring up the biology because i always in, in chiropractic i always teach tell people and i'll teach patients of mine that like from the brain side of things i can change yeah. the way your brain's firing within yeah. about three to five months give or take right. um and i said that's the easy part Yes. Because the hard part, and what you just mentioned, is the biology, the neuropeptides, neurotransmitters, yeah. all that stuff that's been programmed to respond a certain way. Like that takes conditioning. And I can, never, I can never give a time frame because some people always want to know, well, how long does it take? I have no Absolutely. clue. Exactly. You know, and I say the greatest minds and the greatest doctors in the world can't answer that. If they do, you better yeah. run away because that's exactly. <laughs> biology is nonlinear, you know, and it, and it's and there's just a kind of discipline thing. How do I know how long, how many times you're going to do your um, your what we call a switch on statement, a rewiring statement each day? You know, how do I know how many times you're going to stop yourself in the middle of your addictive pattern and rewrite that 
habit in the moment. Um, and so one of the things I do with one-to-one work is I, I have people for maybe four or six sessions. It's enough to get a cycle through a major life issue. Um, and then I say, listen, I don't want you to see, I don't want to see you every day, spend your money on me, go off and live this new way of being in the real world. Here's some tips, here's some strategies, and then come back in, you know, a few months where you've actually tried it out in the world and built something. Um, and then we can talk again. Um, and that means also pushing people to use their peers, to use your community. You don't, you can't do this stuff alone. Not really. Mm-hmm. Um, and a, an expensive coach um, is probably not the ideal person to be the sort of every day on the end of a phone person. You need like partners in crime. Um, or as I say, partners in the sublime <laughs> to do the work with. In fact, I should uh, share with you something which I don't share. I don't know. Probably don't share enough. I'm so committed to sort of mass empowerment and mass transformation. I've spent 13 very long years developing a peer-to-peer coaching toolkit, which is actually available on my website in a new beautiful version. And it's six sessions of peer-to-peer transformation coaching that any two people can do together. Um, And the design sort of strategy is um, it's obviously a fraction of the price of working with me directly. Um, but can it get to sort of 60% of the value that I can bring? And people say it does, and they create a, a highly bonded, connective, peer-to-peer coaching relationship with someone. So if you're interested, do check that out. Um, it's It's got some of the best tools and, and, and thinking. It's got micro habits. It's got switch-on statements. It's got the transformational curve. It's got inner experiences. And you do it with a buddy, a friend, a colleague, a loved one you know, whatever. And there's also actually a version for leaders on the website too. So uh, check those out if those are interesting, motivating. And I think that's huge because, um, you know, I don't know if you know the stats on, excuse me, have an accountability partner and how much that takes your success through the roof. Exactly. Exactly. And um, I've discovered, so I I believe in accountability partners and also sort of accountability communities. Yes. Um, one-to-one is really good because there's nowhere to run. You can't be let down. Well, you can be let down, but people know they're letting you down, so they don't want to let you down. Whereas in a group, people are like, I'm not going to show up for the group, the men's group tonight or the women's group. I'm tired. So it can groups can 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 suffer from that kind of thing. So one-to-one is really good. And then like a small group, six, eight, ten people. Um, and one thing that actually my wife and I have considered doing is, you know, helping people set up these switch-on circles um in their local towns local places um to and give people tools and techniques for holding a circle holding a community um that supports each other to transform so that's kind of something we will do one day on the horizon um because we do need community and if we surround ourselves with the same sort of people that we had when we were broken and upset and frustrated and reactive and addicted, then it will increase the chances of those patterns and being in our everyday experience. I, I love that. Um, and I think that's where, you know, um, I do a lot of, you know, research into uh, the power of social networks and not networks right. and, the, and not like, like when I, cause I say this word and then people think social media and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not social media. Yeah. Uh, I'm talking one on, you know, face to face with people, flesh yeah. to flesh, that kind Three of interaction. One. Yeah, there's all that research. It's actually in my first book, um, Switch On, which is more of a transformational self help book, which the stuff around um, obesity and happiness traveling through social networks. 
And again, that doesn't necessarily mean Facebook and Instagram, but it, we, our, our beliefs and our habits can travel through the networks of people we know um, way more than we ever thought. Um, and I find it fascinating and very hopeful because it means that if you become a sort of beacon of um, a different way of thinking or being, that will travel through your friends and family um, it may take a long time, uh, <laughs> particularly in your family. <laughs> That's what I've experienced. Um, Likewise, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it does happen, you know. I, you know, I definitely know that my, let's call it light, has shone to people who I just would never think they would ever be interested. Yeah. Um, just by staying committed to my own thing and having peers. So one of the things I say to my clients is, always love your old friends. You always love them. You always want to see them every now and again. But that doesn't mean you can't create communities that you see more often that pull you into the person you want to be. Yeah. And, and so love your old friends, love your family. But if they're not bringing you up, then maybe you think about seeing them a bit less um, and seeing more of the people who are on a higher quality conversation, higher quality dialogue. And that includes, you know, podcasts. I mean, you know, to be able to come into these conversations with you and listen to the higher, I don't know whether, I don't know what the term high frequency means anymore, um, but sort of high frequency conversations. This is a massive, massively important thing. Um, And, um, you know, the more you get pulled up into that, the more you start to realize one day, wow, that's how I think. And then you might write your book and, you know, become a coach or healer or whatever it is. Oh, it's so true. And I, and I've said this many times on my podcast, one of the, 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 you know, finding networks of people to have these deep conversations with, it, yeah. it has been somewhat, I don't want to say hard for me on a real level. So I was like, you know yes. what, I've done podcasting before. I'm going to bring this back <laughs> out and yeah. I'm going to find people and they're going to come to me or I'm going to find them. However, the universe is going to do it. And I can have these deep conversations and yeah. just learn from them, learn about their world, but at the same token, we can share and just, you know, for me, I just call it getting deep. And, uh, and, and the more deeper we get, the, the, as you said, higher frequency, the more we, Mm -hmm. it's more being real in a sense. Yeah. Uh, and just talking about life and what we know and sharing experiences. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's magical. Um, and, um, yeah, I've really enjoyed, um, you know, you can tell when you're having a high quality conversation because, you're sort of really present and you're alive. You're not in pattern. You're not going, yeah, 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 know this or, or something. <laughs> um, and the person you're dialoguing with is sort of pulling out new thoughts from you, new insights, which is what's happened for me in the last uh, hour is, is I'm sort of reflecting, but I'm sharing and, and all at the same time. And it's, it's a very powerful way of um, learning. And of course, it's changing my neural signatures as we speak. So I'm reminding myself of the same stuff. You know, it's not that I've mastered all this stuff. I, I, I know a lot of the theory. I've got some of the major tools and then I fall over regularly. Um, as, uh, you know, my son will tell you last night. <laughs> and, and I appreciate you bringing that up too, because a lot of people think that, Oh, they get it. They know it. And they're, they're, they're these gurus of something. Yes. And I can't stand that because I get that sometimes. I'm like, I'm human. I am human. I failed. Go talk to my wife. My wife will tell you. (laughs) Exactly. Especially one of my great bugbears of the new age scene is um, the guruification of people. 
Um, and actually, I've experienced it. In many ways, it comes more from the audience, if you like, than it does from me, certainly in my experience. I know there are gurus who love being the guru. Yes. Um, many. Um, but I've actually discovered that if I don't have some sense of teacheriness, then I don't have any power to help people transform. That's true. If I'm totally peer to peer, then, then there's, I don't have any power. So the way the metaphor I have is I don't want to be on a, um, uh, parapet. I don't want to be, you know, on a high stool. I want to be just on a cushion. Uh, so I want to be all on the floor, but I'll sit on a little cushion so that you can see me, you can hear me. Um, and I can share my teachings, but I'm no, but I'm not outside of the community. Um, whereas a lot of the guru stuff is people, you know, want to be very high up and then people want them to be high up because if you gurify someone, then you almost disempower yourself from having to change and do anything because you're saying, well, this is the person who knows I'll never know. I'm just going to sit at their feet and, um, you know, feel the bliss in the moment, but it's, they're the guru. They're the person who has it. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's a real balance between really knowing I have something that I've discovered inside me that I want to share. I've done a lot of work, a lot more work than most people in this space. Um, that's why I write books. You know, it's not just for fun. Um, in fact, it's definitely not for fun at all. (laughs) (laughs) Not that much fun occurs. Um, but, uh, I also know that I'm just one of every other human being with my flaws and my issues and my, my dramas and my whatever less and less each year. Really. I do sometimes look back and look at myself now and I'm a very different person. Um, but, um, yeah, that's that balancing between the teacher and the, and being a pupil, a permanent pupil. I love that. And I can tell just from reading your book, you do put a lot of energy into your book. <laughs> Massive amount. I could tell. A lot of stuff. I'm like, read it. When I read it, I was like, holy cow, I got to take some points on this. I was like, you go really in depth with this. Uh, oh, I really appreciate that because, you know, it's, it's not always something that gets mirrored back to me, actually. And it's, yeah, it, I do put a lot of effort. And I, I love, I love my, I love what I'm trying to say and I love the people I'm trying to say it to and I believe in rigor ultimately. And so that takes a little bit extra work. I love it. And that's why it's, that's why I commend it being a great book. So appreciate the work you've done for that. Um, I know there's one topic we didn't get on. I don't know how much time you have left. Yeah. Let's get onto it. There's one more. Let's get onto this topic. We talked about life. We talked about love a little bit. Leadership. Ah, I want to just touch base. I know we talked a little bit before the podcast. You're doing some great things with that. And I just wanted to tap in and just uh, get your perspective on leadership and with the work you do and everything. I mean, just, yeah, I spend 70% of my day doing leadership stuff. Um, So it really is one of my great love affairs um, and passions and joys. Um, It's my livelihood in the main. Um, And leadership is huge. I'm actually, since we... Um, last spoke, I have started ground. I've broken ground on my next book, which is a book about transformational leadership. And uh, working title is Leading the Great Transformation. Awesome. And what I mean by that is how do we all play our part in shifting ourselves to a sustainable, thriving world, uh, moving away from these old systems, whether political, whether community, whether education, whether... And health, whatever, wherever field you're in, 
how do you play your part in moving to a more regenerative um, model? Um, so that's that will be um, that's the next few months of my life. I love that. Can't uh, wait. So, so what's the word? Scheduled. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm really excited about it. Actually, I'm really excited to write a leadership book. Like you know, really good leadership book. Um, high, big thinking, but also very practical. Love it. That's awesome. Um, that's exciting. And so you spend 70% of your time on the leadership side of things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Running programs, designing programs, designing products. I'm in the middle of developing an app, um, which will be the world's first, um, I hope AI enabled leadership app for leaders for leaders anywhere in the world. So that's also a big part of the next couple of years. Love it. Um, so yeah, leadership is, is a great, you know, a great thing. And, and, um, it's a huge topic. Um, we could do like a 10 hour podcast just on leadership and probably not even gets that far. Um, so what, what do you think would be, uh, how, you know, what, what's sort of there for you in, in this leadership conversation? What's, what's most present for you? What, what area of it? Well, so what's what's like one of the biggest issues that you see with leadership, right? What are the because obviously you're writing a book, you're doing an app, you're doing all that, so you see a problem that you're mm-hmm. creating a solution to. So, what mm-hmm. is one of the things that you see as oh, like a big issue with leadership right now in today's world? So, I guess it's a really great question. I should probably answer this question before I write the book. I like it. <laughs> um, so, even before I have a, start the company. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so <laughs> I think the biggest problem I see is there are lots of managers, very few leaders and management and leadership are different. And I, they're both really important. Uh, but management is a really, uh, a machine age, um, technology for managing outputs, uh, with certain inputs. And it's really important, really useful, but it's not leadership. And so I get, I, I guess I see a lot of people confusing the two. Um, for me, leadership is about connection, creativity, storytelling, engagement, influence, collaboration, thinking s- systemically, you know, where the future's going and what you want to do about that. Um, so that's one of the things I think I see a lot of. I think I also see a lot of people struggling to lead transformation and, and innovation, which is my specialist area. Um, so they're good people, they connect, they listen to their team, they're empathic, um, but they don't know how to move their organization from a really old fashioned industrial age organization. So when I say industrial age, I mean any organization that basically is modeled upon a kind of production line of some sort, whatever that is. Um, that's an industrial age and they're just going out, they're going out of business and they're going, they're not, they're not. They're not adaptive, adaptive enough. They're not creative enough. So that's another second big problem is I see a lot of uh, leaders trying to change their business model, trying to change their delivery model, their operational model, their organizational model, and just not knowing how to do that. So that's a big thing I, I bring to the party. And then I think also people are trying to improve. A lot of leadership development is about improving your existing performance in the current model. And the model we're running on at the moment, sort of, let's call it advanced capitalism model, just isn't working anymore. Um, growth is not creating jobs. It's not creating that much um, wage growth. In fact, wages have gone down for most people in the last 20 years in real real terms. 
Um, we, 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 I just read today that in 100 years, there may be no more pollinators left on the planet, which means entire global collapse. Climate change, extreme weather, um, depression, anxiety. There is so much that it's a dysfunction of the current business model that there's no point doing leadership work just to improve what you're doing, which is useful, but only a part of it. We have to do leadership work, which also reinvents our models from a purposeful place and that fits with the world. That's regenerative models that leaves it better than when we get there. Um, so there's probably three sort of areas I see. Um, and obviously they kind of, they kind of, they're almost like three, three nested eggs there. You know, there's the, just not being a manager, being a leader. And then if you're going to be a leader, lead transformation. And then if you're going to lead transformation, make sure it's transformation that makes your organization uh, a fit for our ecosystem and our world. I love that. And I, I think it's huge. There's a, you ever hear of a, what's his name? Daniel Pink. He wrote a book called Drive. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and that really book, that, that, that spoke to my heart because it was yeah. one of those things about, you're talking about the industrial old type, you know, it's about, wages and and in the whole nine yeah. yards and about yeah. compensation and that's it people you when you're an owner or business owner or whatever this is what's important but now we've yeah. kind of shifted gears and you bring this up very strongly about leading transformation yes. right and 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 he talks a lot about that about how um well in a certain way i call it i don't think this was his way i'm not, i'm putting words in his mouth but it's one of those things where it's like <laughs> yeah. um he talks about how you should be guide people for their interest of what they want to do and, yeah. and, and be incorporate in sync with the business. And I think yeah. that's huge because you talked at the third part, you know, transfer more at the organization. So it fits for the ecosystems and so forth. And I, I truly believe when people are um, doing, you know, be able to play their part and they feel like they have a piece of the puzzle or the yes. piece of the pie and, yes. and they're able to be innovators. They're not limited. They're, you know, they're, they can express themselves. Would you agree that when you're living in that state, you're more in self-fulfillment and from oh there, totally. your whole response to everything is going to be at a higher level, a higher vibration, oh, a higher frequency, totally. higher creative, so more effort, more energy, more extra work, um, more care, more discipline. Um, and so for me, that's where, so, so for, I, also, I often talk to leaders about, what I call the three M's of, of millennials, which is people aren't interested in promotion and profit. They want meaning. So purpose, fulfillment, a sense of why we're doing this mastery, you know, give me a chance to master something and have autonomy and grow um, and membership. I want to feel like I belong to something that's mm-hmm. bigger than me. Those are the three M's and they come together in empowerment and leadership and purpose and creativity and innovation. Um, in other words, a 33-year-old would probably rather work on an innovation that might solve something really painful in the world than be given a profit, uh, a sh- you know, a share, uh, uh, a wage rise or a, a new name on their link, a new name on their business card. Um, and for me, that means purpose, 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 purpose. Everything has to be driven by our purpose what is our purpose in this organization what are we here to how are we here to serve the world and if we can't articulate that it's it's a real challenge um but the challenge is a lot of organizations a lot of leaders they want purpose but they don't have to do the work to find purpose and just like we talked about your idea about interference Mm -hmm. finding an organization's purpose takes quite a long time because you've got to get rid of all the old ideas about it's about money it's about three three months shareholder cycles it's about x y and z to remember what is this business here to do yes and what's the pain 
that it's trying to solve. And if it isn't solving a pain, why are we doing it? Who needs it? Um, and another way of saying that, which is what I, I put in spiritual atheists, at the end of spiritual atheists is a whole chapter on leadership and purpose. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I say is purpose is love in action. It's, it's our love for the universe and the universe's love for us coming into action in the everyday life of our work. And um, there's no escaping that. Purpose is a big topic. It's not something you can get in a one-day, half-day workshop, get a management consultant to do it, put it on the wall, and expect everyone to find meaning, fulfillment in their work. It, you know, it doesn't happen that way. So there's lot, I, I call it, there's a lot of purpose washing in the world at the moment. <laughs> no, it's true. And it, and it takes time to cultivate. I teach a it lot does. on, yeah. I, like one of my programs, I teach a lot on vision. And it's funny uh, how... When I and envision is just the word I use. It, it's purpose, soul's purpose, your destiny, yeah. whatever you want to call yeah. it. But um, vision is just what always has resonated with me. Yeah, and, and it's one of those things where it's funny though when people first when they do the program they think, boom, I'm going to get the vision, I have it down, done. And I'm always like, all right, let's let me look. I look at it and I'm like, all right, now this is going to take time. This is I've been like I tell people I've been working on my vision since I was 23. I've changed it almost 30 something times because there's always something new that I'm like, Oh, you know what? That goes deeper. Man, that goes, Mm. that's even more to speaks to my soul. I got to change it. I got to shift it. Here we go. Mm. And so I never say I always have my vision and it's my absolute. I'm always like, here's my vision now. And as time goes on, it's going to change. But here's the, you know, here's how I work through that and use that. Right. Right. And I've, I so super concur. Um, so for me, purpose is a theme of how we serve. That comes from our talents. It comes from our care, our love, but it also connects with what's going on in the world. And so it's, it's a story that's unfolding. It's a live narrative. And as we grow and we try stuff out and we do stuff, we get more and more of a sense of what our purpose is. Um, and we get to refine it and understand it more and understand ourselves more. And it's a, it's a journey. It's a purpose discovery and purpose living are the same. They, it's an unfolding into a live universe. And the universe, in my sort of metaphor I put in the book is, you know, the universe is a symphony and we, our job is to play one instrument, um, with like a virtuoso with the best skill and care we can. And then we can relax into our purpose and the universe will have us play the right notes at the right time mm-hmm. uh, through our guide, through inner guidance, through wisdom, through intuition, t- so that we can serve the becoming of this great transformation that's wanting to occur. And that's the job. We master our instrument. Um, and then we realize it's not for our own amusement. It's for a symphony of transformation. Love that. I'm with you 100%. And, and one of the things I want to ask is that, like, how about for someone who doesn't have, feel like they don't have purpose as a leader mm. or as an individual, mm. how can they start that process? How can they start tapping into it? You're asking the big questions here. Uh, actually, in, in my book, Switch On, there is a one set of questions you can ask yourself about to find your purpose. It's the beginning. Um, there's about 12 or 15 questions. Um, the one I, I'm just gonna, you know, talk about one, just sort of first, first, uh, port of call. It's, it's super simple. Just to go back over the last, um, three months of your life and sort of identify where the meaning, the meaning points were, where you felt most alive, most connected, most of service to others. Um, and that will start to give you clues about what your purpose might be. 
and um and and don't second guess that don't go oh it was with my kids what's that got to do with my company that i love and work for you know don't second guess what those things are just write them down and i think it usually will surprise people what they what they start to discover yet at the same time make perfect sense i love that it's a it's, it's a tool i use uh, massively and it, it's amazing Again, that you get that little like you you got you go in the right brain, you're you're feeling, you're you're getting yep. intuitive, yep. and then left brain comes in and goes, hold on here, this doesn't line up to what I'm doing here. How are you going to make this logical and straight? You yeah. know all this other stuff. How are you going to make your parents think that's a great idea? You know, <laughs> well, just don't worry about that for now. You can sell it sell it to them later on. The job the job right now is just uh, is just to get some remote sense of where your spark is, where your where you're in your element. Um, and here's a tip. It always involves other people and, and somehow serving their needs. It is never about, if your purpose is, you think it's about playing golf, uh, it's not that. That's something you enjoy. But it might be about the conversations you have over golf and you realize you're actually serving your golf buddies with uh, really interesting questions and you go, oh my God, I'm a golf coach or I'm a life coach or whatever. That might be that. But doing something for yourself is never purpose. Purpose is a bridge between um, our talents and what the world needs. And um, it's also another tip is it's, it's a verb. Purpose is a verb. It's not, it's not a thing. It's a doing. Um, and that's important. I love that. It's just like what Zig Ziglar has always said. You know, you can have everything in your life if you just help other people get what they want. Mm, love yeah. that. That's one of, my favorite, one of my favorite yeah. quotes. Um, just Classic. So again, I know I've asked this before last time in our last podcast, but just to refresh <laughs> people's minds, how do they get a hold of you? How do they connect with you? Yes. So um, all sorts of places. Easiest one, go to our website, switchonnow.com. Um, you get all the social buttons uh, at the top and at the bottom. You can click onto Facebook and Insta and LinkedIn and whatever. Do sign up to the um, email newsletter because there's loads of stuff that comes out, free stuff, videos, all sorts of cool stuff, podcasts I've been on. Um, and if you go into inspiration on the top uh, navigation, there's a bunch of free stuff you can download, really good, good quality free stuff. My books are online on Amazon or whatever. And if you um, like Instagram or, or Twitter, then to come and join me there. Um, but email is my favorite way of communicating. It's where, I'm, it's where I most, you know, most take most care over sharing ideas and, and stuff. Love it. Nick, this was a pleasure having you on, my friend. Uh, I know I see you again in the near future. Uh, yes. We, 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 our lives are very similar in many ways and how we... <laughs> evolved to who we are today and it's been uh, it's it's just funny to find that synchronicity in so many ways so i absolutely uh, greatly appreciate you and the work you're doing thank you thank you so much take care you too brother thank you for listening to the podcast for past shows please visit www.empoweryourreality.com i hope this show inspired you and added to your life to help you on the journey to rediscover who you really are. To connect with us on Facebook, please visit www.facebook.com forward slash Dr. Vic Manzo. Check us out on Twitter. The handle is Dr. Vic 21. Follow us on Instagram, www.instagram.com forward slash Dr. Vic Manzo. If you were inspired by the podcast, 
pay it forward by sharing it with someone who you know can benefit from it. Thank you again for listening to the Mindful Experiment podcast, sharing paths to help you rediscover your infinite potential. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. If you found this episode to be inspirational, pay it forward by sharing it with someone that you know can benefit from this. If this is your first time tuning in, please follow us, connect with us so you don't miss another amazing episode. And until next time, keep rocking and rolling.